0: Work out. I got my ESPN magazine with okay. flashlights if my pupils are dilating at the right, you know, angle. Okay. And then I got this this watch over here. I don't really know what it does. Uh, it tracks my like my pacing and wow. stuff. The five-hour energy. I mean I'm ready to go. I, I got this this water thing, oh, wow. like Batman, and then and then I, I mean I don't think I'm running in the dark or anything, it's just pretty really lit, but just in case the power goes out. People can see. Wonderful, sir. Um, I don't mean to interrupt, but I really don't think you need all that stuff. I mean, simplicity is, is much better, and the body... You don't think I need this stuff? Do you know how hard and long it took me to get dressed in the morning? Preparedness. You have to prepare, because you never know what's coming. You never know! Well, perhaps you should start with the basics. If, if instead of a class today, I would highly recommend you try the machine. Simplicity is better, because, you know, the Bible says, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of the things that we Just have. Over the machines, this way, right? That way, yes, sir. Yes, thank you. You're, you're so sick. strange. <laughs> <laughs> is much better, just get rid of the gear. Just no. no, it's not good for you, and you're all Simplicity. Like, oh, no. Simplicity. 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 Why does everyone keep saying that? It's like Father Anthony's going to have to explain this to story. Who is Father Anthony? On that one. We have a star in our midst here. A budding young star. It's going to be a little bit loud. Turn it down a little bit. Welcome to the second week. Yeah. Welcome to the second week in the series called Spiritual Sweat, where our goal here is to help you get in shape. And maybe not necessarily get in shape the way that you think of, but hopefully to give you some good exercise for your soul. Because the body tells us, I'm sorry, the Bible tells us that we need to train our souls and our spirits to get into shape. and Especially in the new year, what better that we ask for than a series to focus on how we can get ourselves in shape on the inside. Last week, for those who weren't here, we started off by talking about the most important discipline in a life. The whole purpose of the series is we lo- look at a life of spiritual disciplines and we start to get ourselves balanced as far as the world of spiritual disciplines. Because we don't want, if you take the exercise analogy, some people work out the arms, some the legs, some the pecs, some the shoulders, some the whatever. We want to have a balanced, regiment for our souls and our spirits. So what we're looking at is seven spiritual disciplines in this series. And the idea is not, not, that, not that any one of them will lead you to perfection, but that when we have them all balanced, then we live a balanced spiritual life and we become what God wants us to be. The most important spiritual discipline is the one we talked about last week, which is the discipline of which is the discipline of Meditation, all right? call it quiet time, call it reflection, call it contemplation, call it whatever you want. The whole point is, the most important thing that you do in your, in your spiritual life is you have a regular time where you are quiet and you give God a chance to speak to you. And this is your one-on-one time with God. Nothing is more important than your spiritual life. And without that discipline, all the other ones won't work. Why? Why that one discipline is so important for all the other ones to work? you can look at it that all the other ones are built on top of this foundation because the problem if we don't have this meditation this one-on-one we as human beings we naturally gravitate towards rules and legalism and what will happen if you don't have a time where you for your relationship with god then you will turn the disciplines into the l-word y'all remember the l-word I said the bad word last week what's the l-word legalism or laws okay same word We will turn it into laws, and then we will start to become externally focused. That I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, so therefore I'm okay. And then we will become judgmental. And we would say, oh, see, that guy, he doesn't do those things, so he's not as good as I am. And you, if you want to be spiritual, you need to do this. And it doesn't matter that God made you completely different than he made me. All that matters is that you do what I'm doing, because you become very legalistic and outward focused. So the most important discipline is that meditation. We don't want to focus on external, we want to focus on internal. We don't want to focus on rules, we want to focus on relationship. However, as we saw last week, is that God gives His grace through us doing external things. So the point of the externals isn't that any one of them is an end-all, be-all, but the point is, is that God gives His inside grace working through these outside things. So that's the idea that we're talking about here. We talked about last week meditation. Hopefully you had a chance to spend some time in meditation, to set yourself up with a routine. Today we're going to talk about the second discipline, and it's one that I would imagine that most people don't even consider a discipline, and it's probably not something that's on the top of your minds on a day-to-day basis, but I promise you that it should be. Today we're going to talk about the discipline of simplicity. What's simplicity? Simplicity, that's an easy one. I'm not greedy. I'm not materialistic, okay? I'm not, uh, you know, stepping on people to get ahead or anything like that. So therefore, I don't have to worry about this one. Does not being greedy mean that you are living a simple life? Does not being materialistic mean that you are living a simple life? I think the answer is no, and I challenge you today to give me a chance To try to convince you that you need to spend a little more time than you have been focusing on this area of simplicity. Because I guarantee you, for every one of us, this is a blind spot in our lives. And I'm not saying that you're like the worst person in the world because of this, but I guarantee you it's an area that none of us are really examining on a careful basis. Simplicity isn't about the clothes that you wear, the car that you drive, or the house that you live in. Because there's some very poor people who don't have the means to have any of those things but are not living a simple life. So you can have none of those flashy things, but that doesn't mean that, you, that you're living a life of simplicity on the inside. Sometimes we convince ourselves that, you know, I may have stuff and I may have whatever, but, you know, it doesn't uh, affect me or it's not a big deal for me. Like I said, give me the next half hour to try to convince you that maybe it's something they need to look at. Here's the way I want to do it if you have your outline in front of you. I want to talk, uh, I want to define simplicity. And then I want to look at the Bible, what the Bible says about simplicity. Then I want to look at a measure of simplicity. And then I want to get very practical and talk about how that practice of simplicity in our lives. First, we want to start off with a definition. Believe it or not, simplicity, as the word implies, like simple, it's a very difficult word to define. And I couldn't come up with a good, clear definition so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the opposite. Because sometimes you learn a lot about a word by learning the opposite. What is the opposite of a life of simplicity? Is the word that the Bible says is covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is the opposite of simplicity. What's covetousness? Covetousness, if you know your Ten Commandments, you know that it's one of the Ten. Anyone want to guess which one of the Ten Commandments is covet? Anyone? You only got 10 choices. You got a 10% chance of getting it right. Probably not one or two. Anyone guess? Four? No, it's number 10, okay? It's number 10. Don't covet your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's cow or your neighbor's nothing, okay? Don't covet nothing that belongs to no one. The New Testament spoke a lot about covetousness as well in these very simple verses that speak a volume. Take heed, Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. What is covetousness? It is abundance of possessions, okay? And it's the idea that those things provide some kind of value. Hebrews 13, 5 says the following, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. What is covetousness? Covetousness is the need for more stuff. Accumulation of stuff. Gotta have more stuff. Got to have flashier stuff, bigger stuff, nicer stuff. And you may not seem, may not think of yourself as a covetous person. But just because you are not leading the charge in front of uh, Best Buy on Black Friday doesn't mean that you are living a life of simplicity necessarily. Here's why I say this covetousness thing is a big deal. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the world that we live in has a problem with covetousness? Everyone shaking their heads. Everyone shook their heads like this. No one was like, is there anyone who thinks, yeah, you know, we live in a pretty simple world, especially our area, Northern Virginia, okay, Arlington, Virginia. We live in a simple world, slow. Anyone, does anyone think that? You all agree with me. Forget about yourself. Forget about the people inside this room. that are outside this wall. Everywhere out there, the world is a very covetous place, very materialistic, a very greedy place. Agree? Does anyone disagree with me? if the world is full of so much greed and covetousness then the likelihood that none of us are affected by it is zero percent every one of us would be quick to say yeah that world out there that world out there is is materialistic that world out there doesn't care about simplicity that world out there is always saying buy this and have this and and even not the world not 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 like the media world i'm talking about like my office world They're always talking about this new phone that they got or this new laptop that they got. And it's always climb the corporate ladder. And it's always what kind of clothes you're wearing or what kind of shoes you're wearing. And it's all very, very materialistic. And then you think that it has zero effect on us? Like, I don't remember. I've been a priest now almost 11 years. I've never once heard anyone confess the greed, the sin of covetousness. Very few people would say greed. Is it possible that none of us are affected by it? Or is it maybe that it's a blind spot that we don't see? I'm telling you, when you look at this issue of simplicity and you dig into it from the Bible and what the Bible standard is, you realize we got a ways to go. A lot of us, we don't start off materialistic. We don't start off in any way caring about stuff. But the society and the culture and the friends and the TV and the commercials and life pushes us that way. And a lot of people wouldn't, that's why you think of yourself not that way. Because there was a time that it had no effect on us. That was a long, long, long time ago. But the likelihood that you've been living in this world for all these years and had no effect is not likely. I'm telling you, I see people, like, I'll be honest, like, even us priests, we're not exempt from it. I've seen priests come from Egypt with a certain lifestyle and a certain contentedness and a certain, but then life here, here, like in this country, it changes everyone's perspective on things. And you all know that to be true. And I'm saying if it can affect even us priests, okay, the cream of the crop, us, okay? If it can affect even us, I'm saying it can affect every one of us. And why this is so dangerous, if I talk about lust, everyone knows that's bad. I talk about cheating, everyone knows it's bad. I talk about simplicity, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that one. It's a blind spot, and it's a very dangerous one. I started to think to myself, why is it that we don't even think about this sin as relating to us? Why is it we don't even consider it? We don't even weigh it. You know why? Here's my theory. My theory is that we don't even consider this a sin because we're not really convinced that we want to change it. Like, lust, I don't want to live impure. All right, It's a struggle, but I, like, I know that I would rather live that kind of life, Pure honesty I'd rather be an honest person even like something like fasting like we could all like we all can all agree like that's an important one for all of us like it's benefits to it but living a simple life I don't think I'm really convinced that I want that so if I convince myself of the importance of it then you know what I don't think I'm ready to do that so what do we do instead we do the age old we shoot the arrow we hit the target or we hit a tree and then we go and draw the target around the tree that's what we do and we do that spiritually We say simplicity is important. Okay, you know what simplicity is? Well, my car, this is what a simple life is. It's this car, it's this house, it's this clothes. Look. And then we just look at that guy and say, well, that's what I want to avoid. But I want to be exactly where I am. We shoot the arrow, it hits somewhere on the wall, then we go draw the bullseye right around. We do that same thing spiritually. I'm saying that we need to have a more objective standard of what the command against covetousness is all about. And that's my challenge, is us to look today. And I think if you look objectively, you will see that the world we live in is insane when it comes to materialism and covetousness. We live in a psychotic world, a world that is so out of touch with reality. And I'll prove it to you that even you, like me, were out of touch with reality. If I took a survey, how many people, okay, let's do this, let's do do interactive. How many people today, today, are making an amount of money that they at one time in the past said oh you know if I can get to that level things will be great raise your hand, hand people. almost everybody raised their hand okay very good every one of us is at a point right now where like when I was working at Superfresh making eight dollars an hour I said you know what that clerk making 20 grand a year oh, that's my dream I'm gonna be like that guy I think you know what I eventually got a job and I made much more than that clerk I was making like 30, I think it was 39 was my first salary coming out of college, back in the stone ages. I was making 39. I'm like, 39, that's like a bazillion times more than $8 an hour. But you know what happened? 39 eventually wasn't enough. And eventually, I wanted a little bit more. Then I got married, and I wanted a little bit more. Then I had kids, and I needed a whole lot more. Because that's how life is, is whatever you want. Surveys say this. They take surveys of people on the street. And people on the street, what salary would you be content at? How much money? You know what the, all the surveys say? They break it down by income category. And anyone I, who's under $30,000 a year said 40-something. That's what, what would do it for me. If I had 40, I'd be great. And then they survey the people who are making 40. And these people say, you know what? 50, upper 50s, lower 60s, that will be great. And then the, the people who are making the 60, they say, you know, I really can't live you know unless my household income is like 80, 90-something. And everyone just wants a little bit more. don't tell me that you live in that kind of society and you have has zero impact on you. I'll tell you something else. Look at it even, heroes in American society. Who are heroes? Who are the people that we tell their stories and we say there's an example of like an American, like there's an American icon. It's always the same. It's a poor kid who had nothing, Picked himself up and became rich. That's what we say. When was the last time you heard a story of a hero who started rich and gave it all away to live simply? In the church history, those are the heroes. It's not the people who went from poor to rich, but the people who voluntarily, voluntarily shared their riches and became poor. It's the Robin Hoods, okay? The giving to the poor, the Santa Clauses, okay? But in American society. What's the, uh, the, the adage that we buy things that we don't want with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like? Isn't that it? Isn't that what America's all about? Land of the free, right? We buy things we don't want or we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't really like. That, to me, that means we have a sickness. That means that we have a problem Our goal today is to see how God expects us to live in the middle of this world. Our goal today, let me be very clear, is not to tell you to sell your house, to sell your goods, to all become Amish. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. The goal with all the disciplines, okay, with all the disciplines, as I said from the start, remember, God is not calling us to leave the world and all be monks and nuns and live on mountains and in caves. God is calling us to live in the world with a different perspective. So I'm not trying to tell you today that having stuff is bad. And I'm going to specifically, when we look at the Bible, I'm going to tell you that having stuff is not bad. Okay, it is not bad, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But what I am trying to tell you is the perspective that you have on the stuff needs to change. Because a lot of us have stuff as given to us by God, and we are wasteful with that stuff. And we are so wasteful that we can be in the top 1% of the richest people in the world and always be lacking and be in debt and have nothing to show for it. Even though our salary today is 10 times more than it was back then, and we have nothing to show for it. we've been living wasteful lives. Simplicity is just as much for the CEO as it is for the medical student. It is just as much for the president of the corporation as it is for the stay-at-home mom. It's an inside discipline that is manifest in outside practices. we'll get to all that. Let's go to the Bible. Let's see what God thinks about how our view towards materialism, materialistic things should be. Jesus spoke a lot about the subject of greed, of selfishness, of covetousness, of riches, and every single time his message was the same. And he spoke about it more than he spoke about prayer, than he spoke about fasting, and he spoke about it more than about any other topic. He spoke about the importance of not... As it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you serve God or you serve mammon. And he was very, very clear on that. But I want to go even further back in the Bible. Where are the roots of Jesus' theology on riches and on stuff? It goes way, 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 way back in the Old Testament. The book I'm reading in the Bible these days is the book of Leviticus. And anyone who knows, has heard me speak about it, Leviticus is my least favorite book in the Bible. It is difficult. It is painful. All I want to do is just flip through it all. But I'm forcing myself to read it. And I found something amazing inside the book of Leviticus. Something that I always knew. It's called the year of Jubilee. Y'all know what the year of Jubilee is? Okay, let's let's back up and get a little context on what the year of Jubilee is because it tells you why God thinks about money the way he thinks about money. Back in the Old Testament, God gave his people like a calendar And he gave them like certain feasts to hold and certain festivals and things like that. So he said, you know, the Day of Atonement, you know, the Yom Kippur, you do this and let the high priest go in and do this and let him wear this and and all this kind of stuff. And then he said, you know, at the beginning of the year, all right, you you do this, the Feast of the Tabernacles, and 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 he gave them all these kinds of stuff. And he told them that every, so every week there was a Sabbath. The seventh day was a Sabbath, the day of rest. Every seven years was also a Sabbath year. So, he would say, like, the ground and the crops and stuff like that. But he said, every seven years, don't do anything. Okay, just leave it. Don't take the crops. Why? Because God was the first agricultural expert. And he said the ground needed to rest and replenish. So he said, on the seventh year, leave it be. And don't worry. I bless and I give you as much as you need. Leave it on the seventh year. So every seventh year was a Sabbath. Now, every seven seventh year... Every seventh, seventh year was a special year. So after seven sets of seven years, you had how many years? 49. The fiftieth year was a whole year, which is called the year of Jubilee. And that year of Jubilee had special rules associated with it. Let's read a little bit from Leviticus chapter 25. It says, and you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. That's the 49 years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Did the math before. Okay. Then you shall, co- there was before multiplication tables, so that's why. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sh- you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty. Listen now, what do you do in the fiftieth year? Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. What happened in the 50th year? Something very strange. God said something very strange. God didn't take uh, capitalism, okay? He wasn't a capitalistic society kind of a guy. Because you know what God said on the 50th year? He said, all the stuff that you own... Goes back to the original owner. Excuse me. This land, okay, used to be owned by this guy. Okay, I came and I bought it, or, or he lost his job, so I booted him out and I started living in this land. Fiftieth year goes back to him. He walks back. I had these slaves. I bought these slaves like the right way, like I whatever. Fiftieth year, all the slaves go free. Excuse me? Can you imagine this kind of society today? Excuse me, sir, the house you're living in that you just paid hundred million thousand dollars for. It. Yeah, this is mine. Thank you. Because I was living here before, and it's my family's house. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? What was God's thinking behind doing this? We're going to skip down a little bit and read verse 23. He keeps on saying, he says, The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is... The land is, the land is mine. And you reside in it as foreigners and strangers. You know why God could say that? Because God said, look, the land was never his nor yours. It's mine. I gave it to him. Give it back. God said, these servants are not yours. Who do they belong to? They belong to me. And God, from the very beginning, got rid of the idea of absolute ownership of anything. Nothing was absolutely owned by you. Nothing, God gives stuff, and that's why He called for the tithe. He said, "Look, I'm going to give you all these crops. You give ten percent back. I'm going to give you these slaves. On the fiftieth year, you give them back. I'm going to give you this owner, this land, this property, whatever it is. It's all mine, and I'm just letting you use it." There's a verse in the in the Psalms, and Saint Paul quotes it. Says, "The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness." And that's the principle behind God's philosophy on governing the land. Another verse from verse 18 and 19, same chapter. It says, so you shall observe my statutes. Oh, this is the fruit of what happens when we obey God's laws. Because we look at that law and say, that's an insane law. That would never work in the United States of America. That would never work in anywhere. Like even Canada, that couldn't work over there. That couldn't work anywhere. There's no place in the world that that could work where people just give stuff back. Look what happens when you do it God's way. So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. What does God say when you abide by his rules? No absolute ownership. You know what happens? God is the only one, the only one in the history of the entire world, to solve the problem of the rich becoming richer and the poor becoming poorer. No country has been able to solve that. God solved it. Why? Because it's all mine. And every 50 years, I redistribute as I please. I'll let you use it. And I'm not against you, I want you to enjoy. And I want you to have. But never forget that I own it. And that when I come calling for it, and I say, okay, you know what? The rich are getting too rich, and the poor are getting too poor. God redistributes. You see, God, in the Old Testament, why does God give so many rules in the Old Testament? Why does God give rules about what's clean animals and unclean animals? Why does God give rules about uh, who kind of people you can touch and you can't touch? Because God was the FDA before there was an FDA. God was the Security and Exchange Commission before there was a Security and Exchange Commission. God was everything. That was called a theocracy, where God ruled. And God said, this is how you should rule the country. This is how you should judge the people. These are the foods that if you eat them, you're going to get sick. And these are the kind of diseases that are highly contagious. Don't touch the people who have that kind of disease. Not because I hate them, but because I don't want this to spread throughout all the people until the medicine is there to kind of solve it. God was everything for everyone, and everyone was fine. People were safe, people had enough to eat, people had everything they needed. Because everyone knew that everything belonged to God. You know what happens if you know that you have to give your stuff back in a few years? You become a lot less attached to it, don't you? Like if I know I'm living in my house just till the end of the decade, you become a lot less attached. If I know that these clothes, okay, these nice clothes, which, you know, cost me a lot, if I know that these nice clothes are really not mine, i have to give them back, go back to what I had before, you become a lot less materialistic and needing the newest and the latest and the most expensive, and, 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 and. Three principles that I want to take from this passage of the year of Jubilee and God's teaching on how we look at materialistic things. Three principles, how we deal with possessions. Number one, what we have, we receive as a gift. What we have. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have. I'm saying we have. But what we have, we receive as a gift. Not our mentality, which is, no, it's mine. I earned it. I work hard for my stuff. I earned it. Okay, I agree, you work hard. Who gave you the ability to work hard? Who put the brain in your head that knows how to solve problems at work? Because you know if God wants, the Bible says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And the Lord could take that away from you and make you like a little vegetable and then you're going to come and say, no, what, what I made is mine. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Think about it this way. Imagine that I buy my kid Play-Doh. And then my kid takes the Play-Doh and makes like a big thing. Uh, you know, a house or whatever. Then I come and say, oh, that's nice. I'm going to play with that. He says, no that's mine excuse me he says that's mine I made it okay you made it but I, made, I gave you the play-doh and you want me to take away the play-doh and see what you can do without the play-doh Cause that's how we treat God sometimes no God don't touch my money that's mine I worked hard for it excuse me who gave you the ability to work hard who gave you the ability to work hard I gave you the ability to work hard don't tell me because you made a little play-doh sandcastle that you all of a sudden you own all the play-doh play-doh's mine okay you don't understand let me take my play-doh back and don't wait for God to take the play-doh back Don't make God take the play-doh back to teach you this lesson. Everything we have we receive as a gift. Two, what we have is to be cared for by God. What we have is to be cared for by God. Meaning, everything we have is a gift from God. And sometimes we say, okay, look, God gave me all this. Thank you, God. And then we get him out of the process and we say, it's my job to protect it. Don't let anyone touch it. And don't go near it. And we think it's, and we become like obsessive over keeping all that stuff. Look, the Lord gave it. The Lord will keep it. It is not our job to be anxious at all times to protect the stuff that God has given us. With that said, does that mean we don't lock our doors? Does that mean that we leave the key in the engine with a big sign that says key in engine? No, we don't be crazy people. But what I'm saying is I know I lock my door every day on my house. But I know ultimately that what's protecting my house isn't the lock. It's God. That's why sometime, one time some guy tried to come sell me a security system. Okay? And I wasn't going to buy it just because I don't, I don't have the money to buy it. But he's like, security. And I'm like, I have a security system. He's like, what's your security system? And I was like, up there. It's cheaper than your system anyway. Okay? Works at all times. Never goes off in the middle of the night like a crazy. I'm not saying don't lock your door. But I'm saying that ultimately, who protects you is God. Never forget that. And that applies, by the way not just to your house and to your possessions that applies to your future god takes care of it that applies to your reputation god takes care of it that applies to your entire life that god gave you and god will protect you You don't need to protect yourself let god protect you and then number three that what we have is available for others because if you think that what you have is just for you and you keep it to yourself and just for yourself then you know what you're doing You're stealing. You're a thief because God gave it to you to make it available to others. I'm not preaching laws. I'm preaching principles. I'm not telling you that you're bad for having stuff. I'm saying the stuff is God's. I'm saying he's going to take care of it don't be anxious trust him and number three that when he calls you to make it available that you do so it's not yours to begin with anyway i don't want you to think that i'm saying the stuff is bad because like i said having stuff is bad is not bad it's what we do with the stuff that we have and i shared with you all a nice quote one time that i read and i'll share it again said that to live rich is not a sin to die rich is a sin and i like that so much To live rich is not a sin. To die rich is. Meaning that God gives, but if all you did with the stuff that God gave you is bury it with you six feet under, then that is a sin. Anyone, I know some people are passionate about this. If anyone says that God is against having possessions and having stuff, Abraham, who trusted in God and God alone, was one of the richest people that ever walked this earth. And God made him rich. God is not against riches. When God told the people of Israel to leave Egypt, what did he tell them to take before they left Egypt? He said, go take the gold from the Egyptians. And basically, they looted the Egyptians because the Egyptians were so scared of them because they are making you know, the, the, the Nile into blood and all this stuff. So they came and said, give us your gold. If God was against possessions, he wouldn't tell them to take it. God, in the entire Old Testament, before they got to the Promised Land, kept saying, I'm going to send you to a land of plenty, a land of milk and honey. If God is against uh, possessions, God would not be promising His people milk and honey. He'd be saying, I'm going to go and send you a place with nothing so you can be close to me. But that's not God. I want to make a distinction in your mind between simplicity and misery. Sometimes we think that God's call to simplicity is a call to misery. It isn't. Misery is just get rid of all your stuff and be miserable, and hopefully God will make you happy when you get to heaven. That's not the Bible. Simplicity is the Bible. Everything you have is God's. You trust Him that He gives, He protects, and at times He'll take away. So because we trusted Him to care for it, if He removed it, then we don't go crazy. We trust it in Him, we make it available to others as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, and 9, and 17 shows you the difference between the misery and the simplicity, the balance we need to have. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, A land, and I put dot, dot, dot because it talked about how great that land is and has crops and has fruits and has all kinds of stuff. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and you will lack nothing. That's the, I want to give you possessions. But never forget, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Simplicity. You know what simplicity is? Simplicity is freedom. Because simplicity... Is understanding that everything that I have, it gives me perspective. That not that having stuff is bad, but it gives me perspective on the stuff that I have. And it keeps me free from being a slave to the stuff because it reminds me that God is the owner of everything, and the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. All right, now, let's get, to, let's get real now. Let's get, forget about the theoretical. Let's get practical. How do I know if I'm simple or not? Everything I said so far is very theoretical. I want to give you a practical measure of whether or not you're living simply. Not whether or not. It's not a yes or no. The degree to which you are. And I want to give you six ways that you can practice that increasing in that simplicity. For this passage, or for this idea, we're going to go to Matthew chapter six, verse 25 to 33, and listen to. Again, forget about the details. Understand the spirit and the message that Jesus is trying to say to the disciples. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Catch the spirit of what he's trying to say. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek, the bad guys seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What's simplicity? What's the measure of simplicity? Look, Jesus didn't say anything about selling all your possessions. He didn't say anything about, Why'd you buy that big house? He didn't say anything about, You shouldn't drive a nice car like that. He was focused on inside, because all the disciplines are an inside understanding or an inside perspective, which then appears in my outward light. And the inside perspective that he's trying to tell us right here is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and seek that more than anything else. And you will know, if you are seeking the kingdom of God more than anything else, how, what's the measure of simplicity. What word appeared so many times that Jesus said right there? What was his overall message? The level of anxiety. Your level of worry. Because Jesus summarized all his teaching in Matthew chapter 6, that passage I just showed you, with the last verse. So he said, don't worry about what you wear, don't worry about what you eat. Look, God takes care of the lilies. God takes care of all the birds. He takes care of everything. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he summarizes it with this sentence. Matthew 6, 34, the last verse in the, se- in the chapter. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Inside, seek one thing, kingdom of God. Don't seek to be rich. Also, don't seek to be poor. Don't seek to, like, get rid of all your stuff. Don't seek to have stuff. Don't seek... To be the most prestigious, but also don't seek to be the least prestigious. Don't seek any of that stuff. Have one thing. Simplicity, as it sounds, is simple. Just focus on one thing. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's all I think about. And that's all I'm connected to. And as much as I'm connected to that, when I'm connected to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all I want to do is seek God, seek God, seek God. Then all of a sudden, I'm in a situation where my reputation is in question and I should lie or I should be honest. You know what? If my connection is so strong to seek first the kingdom of God, it's going to be a lot easier to tell the truth. If my connection to the kingdom is weak and it's like, well, I want the kingdom, but I also want, you know, this position, you know, I'm torn. I'm not living a simple life. I'm like, well, I want that, but I kind of want that too, so maybe I'll just, When my connection, inside connection to the seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is strong. Then all of a sudden, extravagant, card or clothes or stuff that's not really what I'm aiming for really what I'm aiming for is this kingdom so this stuff well it's nice like it becomes a lot less tempting and we don't have that stuff not because we can't afford that stuff but because it's really not that big a deal to us and I'm not saying that having this stuff is wrong but what I'm saying is being consumed by the stuff is wrong and having a level of anxiety of I need to have that I don't know this might go away How am I going to protect this? That's the stuff. That's wrong. Once you have a connection to the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then someone presents himself as in need. It becomes a lot easier to let go of stuff and share and make it available to that person when my connection is so strong to the kingdom of God. You see, usually, let me now give you the counter. Okay, let me be in your shoes, be devil's advocate. You would say, okay, you know what? I would worry a lot less if I had more, right? I'd worry less if I had more. Okay, God, I don't wanna worry about tomorrow. Just fill in my bank account and I won't worry. I'm telling you, you know it to be true. The people that have the most worry the most, right? Y'all remember DuckTales, Scrooge McDuck, okay? The people who have the most worry the most, and the people who have the least, somehow they worry the least. And they have nothing, but they ain't worried. And we have everything. We're so worried. We have so much, and we are so worried. These people have nothing. And they're not worried. God gives us to every day our daily bread. And God feeds us. God takes care of us. How? They don't have 401Ks. Like I have a 401k and I'm worried. The people have nothing and they're not worried. We have bank accounts. We have credit cards. Like we can buy we don't even need money to buy stuff. And yet we're worried how we can get our stuff simplicity has nothing to do with the amount of stuff that you have simplicity has nothing to do with the amount of stuff that you have has everything to do with the amount of trust that you have and the connection that you have to that singular purpose seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and you can measure your level of simplicity it is inversely proportional to your level of anxiety and the amount of time that you spend worried and thinking and anxious now with that said I'm not against planning, okay? Don't think, like we don't want to go to the other extreme and say that he says, do not worry about tomorrow, meaning like, you know, live and let live. No. In fact, I think the more you plan, the less you'll worry. The more you plan, the less you'll worry. And I think a lot of the reason that we have a lot of worries, is we have no plan. Plan. Trust God with the plan. Don't worry. The idea of if I had more, I'd have less anxiety is equivalent to like trusting in riches to provide security is like trusting in the ocean to keep me hydrated. Look, I'm in the middle of the ocean. Now that I'm in the middle of the ocean, I will never be thirsty. How could I possibly thirst, be thirsty among all this water? Well, here's the thing about the ocean, is that the more time you spend there and the salt and the stuff like that, the more thirsty you get. I know it kind of backwards. Being in the middle of the water should make you less thirsty. But if you're trusting in the water, to hydrate you, is like trusting in the money to give you security. It looks like it should do a good job, but don't really do a good job. Let's talk about practice now, practically speaking. What does the practice of security look like? I gave you the measure, how you can tell. I'm gonna give you six, not rules, not laws, I'm gonna give you six suggestions, or six ways that you can practice. And again, I'm I'm hesitant because I don't want anyone to say, "Look, I did this, this, and this. I'm good." And I really, really don't want anyone to say, "That person didn't do that. He's bad." That's not what this is about. This is about inside manifesting itself and outside. And some people say, "Where do I start?" Like, make it tangible. I don't want it just to be an intangible concept. Make it tangible. What does it mean? Six things, and I'll run through them pretty quickly. Number one, buy things for usefulness rather than status. And this is an easy one to test yourself on. You bought that car, why'd you buy that car? And you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. Why'd you buy it? Why'd you buy those clothes? You need clothes, you need a car? I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But ask yourself, what is driving you to make the purchases that you make? Is it usefulness or is it prestige? You grade yourself, like, I'm not trying to say enough. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction. Anything could become an addiction for us when we can't get rid of it. This could be a show that I just can't live without. This could be like, no, I need to have this kind of car. I need to have these kind of clothes. Oh, I need to have the, the, this kind of technology at my hand. Anything that becomes an addiction, could be caffeine, could become an addiction. You could be a, a, a poor person with an addiction to caffeine and, and that's not simple living. Simple living is anything that controls me, no good. How do you know if you have an addiction? Remove it and watch. If you end up losing your religion because you didn't have your cup of coffee, because you didn't get to watch your show or because you can't drive the car that you want to drive and you make everyone else lose their religion around you, you have an addiction. Number three. Develop the habit habit of giving stuff away. Develop the habit of giving stuff away. Because God likes people who give stuff away. Am I talking about tithing to the church? Yes, but I'm talking about much more than tithing to the church. So I'm not saying you just tithe, you write your check, and then you do whatever the, you want with the rest of your stuff. I'm saying that all my stuff, get in the habit of giving stuff away. Don't be connected to the stuff so tight that you can't spare to lose some of it. I'll tell you something that made me so happy with my own kid. And My, my kid did it. I'm not saying my kid. My kid did it because he didn't understand. Okay, uh, a year ago or whenever it was, they do this thing in the school of Operation Christmas Child. Y'all know this thing, okay? Where they send, they make a shoebox, they fill it with stuff, and they send it to underprivileged kids wherever across the world. Okay, and it's very very nice. And the kids all do it, and they bring the bite. It's a great thing. And they give them a list of stuff to bring. You know, like give them a toothpaste, uh, tooth like stuff that they need. undershirts, socks toothbrush uh... hair comb, and then put like one or two toys in there to make something nice so my kid was so excited came home went to his sock drawer pulled all the socks out of his sock drawer and put them in the box and he wanted to ship them all i love that Okay, wasn't very practical okay it wasn't like the best idea but you know where i'm going with this i love that i don't think any one of us would do that and all of us would say okay i have some money i can afford but what if i didn't have any money what if i'm a six year old kid and i don't have money to go buy socks and i know that kids need socks I go to my drawer and I pull out the socks. I love that. I think God loves that. And let's be honest. We all have more stuff than we need, don't we? Like, nothing makes me happier, not from a spiritual perspective, but when someone, from a selfish perspective, taking stuff out of my house, I love it. Cover my storage, take whatever it is that you want. Because we just have too much stuff. And I feel like the stuff and the clutter and the noise, just get rid of the stuff. I always tell my wife, back when we lived in a little apartment, a little one-bedroom apartment, we had everything we needed. It was the best. Life was simple. And the bigger our house got, the more stuff we got, the more I can't find nothing. Back then, you leave your keys by your bed, and you're at the door, and you're like, oh, it's just right there. It's nice. Now you leave the keys by your bed, and you're like, "Ah, All the way, and we don't need as much stuff. Get in the habit of giving stuff away. Tithing to the church, yes, but more importantly, freely you have received, freely give. Isn't that what Jesus said? Freely you have received, freely give. Be generous with our stuff. Number four, beware of the latest and the greatest. I'm going to have to take a minute here on this one. Because this is slavery. The idea of the latest and greatest. And this is the way, I promise you, that a lot of us are addicted to the latest and the greatest and will never realize it. And we're blinded by it. So I don't offend anyone here let me tell you about the toy industry little kid toys can okay, you do what you want with your own big kid toys Okay, little kid toys does my daughter really need a doll that sings and dances and cries and spits up and poops on herself and 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 and, and, and all these different features does she really need that or would a stinky old rag doll that we played with when we were growing up wouldn't that get the job done Like, come on, they play with the box just as much as they play with this. But the world convinces us, no, no, no. You don't have the doll that sings? How you live without the doll that sings? And there's new dolls that sing. And this one blinks an eye. You need to have that. How you don't have that one? Because the one that doesn't blink is worthless. That's for little kids. And uh, society, they fool the little kids. But they would never work with us. They would never work with us. Oh, you don't have a car with butt warmers? How do you live without butt warmers? You have a car that doesn't have butt warmers? No, no, no. Get can't rid of that old junk, man. How do you keep your butt warm when you're in the car? Oh, you don't have the phone that can do this, or the laptop that can do that? Come on, man. We're, we're worse than the little kids. A new thing comes out, we all rush to the new thing. Six months later, we throw it away and we get the next new thing. Beware the latest and the greatest. Here's my theory on life. And it applies to stuff. And it applies also to the other. It applies technology stuff like apps and programs and stuff like that. We buy stuff and we figure out what it is we're going to do with. It. We buy stuff that's cool and we figure it out. Don't do that. Don't buy anything unless you see there is a need and you have assessed all the possible solutions and this will solve the problem. This is why I hate it when people tell me about new apps. Cuz they give me a new app it takes me a week to figure out how to use it. And then I spend more of my time the time saving app costs me so much more time than it's meant to save. So now I'm very content with my way of doing things. That's a cool new calendar. I like my calendar. That's a cool new app. That's great. I like my way of doing things. And when I realize there's a need, I look for a solution, and then you get the solution. But don't just get it because it's the latest and the greatest. That's my rant for today, OK? That's it. I'm done. Number five ties with that one. Buy only what you can afford. This is, this, is, this, this shows the sickness that we have in this country. Because nowhere else in the world you have to tell people that you can only buy what you can afford because that's the principle of what you buy. you go to a store the amount of money in your pocket determines what you buy only in this country the amount of money in your pocket has nothing to do with what you buy shows the level that we live in we have credit and just so you know i am not i know some people are big on no credit card i'm not one of those people i I think it's commendable and i encourage everyone not to use credit cards, I think that's the best thing in the whole wide world, but I don't want to be hypocritical. Say, I do. But I'll tell you what I also do. I never make a purchase on my credit card that I'm not ready to pay that minute. But I just use the credit card so I just can wait 30 days to pay it. All right? But the point is, even when I use the credit card, I'm not buying something I can't afford. You should not purchase something today that you cannot afford for 30 days. If you can't afford it, wait 30 days and then buy it. We should not buy things that we can't afford. That's how we get ourselves into all the problems. The Bible is clear that borrowing money is not something that the Bible condones. You know the Bible word for I'm against borrowing money and lending of money? You know the Bible word for that? It begins with you. Usury. Okay, maybe you see in the Bible usury. Usury means borrowing and paying back. The Bible's like no usury. You spend, the borrower is slave to the lender. You have, you buy. You don't have, you sit. And then you, you accumulate, then you buy. I read something, a quote that's saying, learn to enjoy things without owning them. I like that. Don't Just because you don't own it doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. People keep asking me about the church here. What are you going to have your own building? I don't want our own building. Because we don't have money for our own building. I'm very happy. Like, I'm enjoying this. This is like my building. I sit over there, it's like my little office. I have my own little bathroom here with ten stalls. Like, it's fantastic. Why do I need to own it to enjoy it? It's the best. I'm very happy this way. Buy only what you can afford. And the last thing. Reject anything. Anything that distracts you from seeking the kingdom of God first. Because that's what simplicity is all about. I want one thing, and I'm focused on one thing. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 through 10, but those who desire to be rich fall... Notice again, not those who are rich. It's not the having, it's the desire. Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If the Bible spoke so strongly against the dangers of wealth and riches and the desire of it and it spoke so strongly in a society that was very simple compared to our society if Jesus was so strong on this subject in a society that was very very simple how much more should we take heed in our materialistic greedy society we don't call it greed we call it ambition okay It's not ambition, it's greed, it's selfishness. That's the society we live in. And if it's that bad, we have to take care or else we get infected. I'm gonna leave you all with this verse. And I want you to examine yourself on this verse. Take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Your homework assignment this week, to measure your level of anxiety as relates to stuff. Give yourself a grade. Don't give me a grade. You don't have to hand it in, but measure yourself. If you're married, share it with your spouse. Discuss it together. If you got kids, be something great to discuss with the kids too. Have an evaluation for yourself, and then go to those six areas of focus and choose one area of focus for yourself. Probably when I spoke, there was one of them that ding, 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 that rang a bell. Go to that area and come up with a plan of how you will attack that area. God wants us to live simple lives and I promise you, if you can achieve this discipline of simplicity, no one will be happier about it than you. Let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your word which you gave us today and we thank you for your law which truly is perfect and it does revive our soul and it lifts our spirits and it frees us from the slavery to this world and all the stuff in this world. Lord, help us to see ourselves as you see us, not just to tell ourselves that we're fine, but to really see ourselves as you see us and to evaluate ourselves in an honest and objective way and to make an amends to our life, Lord, so that we can really live this life of simplicity. Lord, I know that you love to bless the simple and you love to shower the simple with your blessings because they trust in you. Lord, help that to be us. Help us to see and become like like visible manifestations of your blessing on those who trust in you and those who seek first your kingdom. We trust, Lord, that you will provide all these things. Let it, that to be like our story, and the story that people say about is that this person seeks God first and God provides for them all things that they need. Bless us, Lord, and help us to really live a life that matches the words that we talked about here today. Through our Lord and our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you all next weekend.